2: How often does your company embarked on a new initiative, but your team members just don't seem to get it? There's just so much resistance. Why don't they understand the importance of the project so they can support us? To answer that question, Rick Maurer. Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joel. It's good to be here. That uh, There isn't a leader in, in, in America or anywhere else on this planet that hasn't had uh, a situation where people just don't seem to get it. They don't buy in. They don't get excited. Uh, you know, and and I could think of 10 reasons that, that I'm seeing and whatever, but let's hear your take. Why, why not?
1: OK. Well, first of all, people are not born resistors. People resist in response to something. So we have to hold the mirror up sometime when we're trying to influence other people and say, hmm, am I doing something that's getting in the way? And w- in my work, I've identified basically three. I call them levels. I wish I'd never called them levels. But three things in there. Basically, I don't get it, I don't like it, or I don't like you. (laughs) And and so, I don't get it is, you know, people just don't understand. We're talking, you're from finance, I'm from marketing, we're just speaking different languages. It could be that simple. And often we make a mistake thinking all resistance is this level one, so we keep explaining and explaining and explaining. And if it's not level one, you just start to get people People get angry. And they go, wait a minute, does he think I'm an idiot? Level two, I don't like it, is very big. And it's, it's based on fear, survival. There's something about this idea scares me. I could lose my job. I could lose face. I've got a kid in college and on and on and on. And the big problem with that level two is it's really hard to talk about. Because people don't want to say something in a meeting like, Joel, I'm having a level two reaction. I mean, people just don't do that because they, but they can talk about level one. They go, Joel, could you go back to the last slide? I have a question about the timeline. That's nice, polite facts and figures. And so we can have a whole meeting and the leader thinks everything's going well, but what's really going on is under the surface where people are going, oh my God, there goes my career. So I don't, I don't, I don't, oh, but,
2: but, but okay. I I get that people there's, there's always some self-preservation and people get nervous that maybe they're yes. going to, you know, somehow, Oh, everybody's job's going to be safe. And next thing you know, the jobs aren't safe. And that, that happens every day and there's no, we don't have right. a great uh, history of honesty in every company. so, you know, that's, that's true, but is it also possible that uh, maybe there's some intel that somebody has that maybe this is not a great idea? Maybe, oh, maybe, yeah. maybe it needs to be debated in a different way, or, or has leadership already made the decision, and the uh, the underlings now just have to kind of start marching. Well,
1: that actually, what you're raising right there is is a huge problem because if they've already made the decision, then when they announce it, you're trying to you're trying to answer two questions for yourself: Why are they talking about this change, and and what are they talking about? So it's if. If you were on board beforehand saying, wow, you know, our company, our organization needs to do something different because blah, blah, blah. Then when they start talking about some idea, you have a way of evaluating, you have a way to say it's a good idea or not. Uh, can I give you an example?
2: Sure. Yeah, please.
1: Okay. A number of years ago, there was a lot of turmoil in healthcare in the United States and uh it's when healthcare started to actually be treated like a business. And for a lot of these healthcare institutions, they were a community resource. And so thinking about it as bottom line was tough for them. And I was working in this one small hospital and I said, hey, people seem to really have a good attitude here. And if you, just, you don't seem to be getting their kind of resistance in the foot dragging that I see other places what's going on? He said, well, we face the same challenges everybody else does. But there are two things I do. He said, as a CEO, I'm in meetings all the time. And people say, can you come to our staff meeting? Can you do this? And I always say yes, but I want to take the last three or four minutes to talk about whatever I want to talk about. And he said, what I do in those meetings is say, you know, that hospital down the road is building a new cardiac wing. I don't know what impact that's going to have on us, but it's got my attention. He said, so I'm not trying to lead them with breadcrumbs. I'm really saying these are the kind of things that keep me awake at night, that get me interested. And the other thing is he said, we give everybody a one page quarterly report. He said, I don't care if you're a surgeon or the chief medical officer, or you draw blood and work in the cafeteria, it makes no difference. And it it looks at You know, how are we doing on customer satisfaction, on patient outcomes, percentage of people who get better or not, and financial performance? That's None of of that's unusual. What's unusual is everybody had access to that. And here's, here's what amazed him and amazed me. He said, people started coming to me saying, hey, you know, our patient satisfaction scores are going down, and we've been worried about that. We've been looking around. We think we know why, and we've got a solution. He said, so... People weren't resisting the change. They were coming to him with the idea. So that whole thing of dealing with why is this important, all of that, they were in it with him. They wanted this to be a success, and they were seeing things that he was missing.
2: You know, uh, so a couple of things. Uh, I have long felt that um, people need to blame themselves first, (laughs) you know, which is kind of what you just said. You know, listen, if you don't get it, maybe it's my fault. Now, if I explain it again or maybe two times and you still don't get it, then Maybe we need to have some other kind of a, a plan. But no, like people that. people really need to look inward in the mirror first, just like we, I've always believed that. I think you're hundred percent right. Um, I also I love the idea of the CEO coming in and saying, uh, you know, I'm I'm taking the last four minutes and, and I here's what I notice, here's what keeps me up at night. And you know, in a certain way, the employees, what, what I would feel if I was an employee <clears throat> is that. This person is being very uh, paternal or maternal, taking care of us. They're looking out for us. They're, uh, they're, they're out there. I'm, I'm busy doing, filling out forms all day long or whatever. And this person is looking across the horizon, you know, for all of our benefit to make sure we, we all stay safe. And, and in a certain way, you know, think about the message that that sends. I love that message. So, uh, you know, well done. Kudos to that guy for, for doing that. It's, you know, and I
1: wish I could say, oh, I've got 20 more stories just like that, but I don't, you know, but some of these answer the answers to how do I even avoid resistance are that simple.
2: I mean, you know, so let me so let me ask. So uh, is resistance something that is the problem of the resistor or is it something that's kind of caused by the person communicating the, the change and they didn't do a very good job of communicating how it's going to happen, or they didn't involve the resistor in, in, in the process. I mean, is, is is this a style thing, communication thing? I mean, what is this? It's
1: it's a lot of things, and so kind of the two options you just said, yes, that's true. It could be the personality of the people. It could be the way they the the, the leaders are communicating. Um, but it's I believe that the resistance is in the relationship. Um, so that uh, I'm presenting something to you and maybe, you know, some. you get it. You go, oh, I know what you're talking about, Rick, because we know each other. You, you're connecting dots. I I go down the hall and start talking to somebody else. I give the same spiel and they don't get it. So there, I need to be paying attention to what I'm doing, but it's always a relationship thing. And I talked about I have these three levels. I don't get it. I don't like it. The third one is I don't like you. So there's a history of us like, oh, here comes Rick again. And when that's there, that that infects, I hate to use that word, but it infects the conversation. I mean, so that no matter what I say, you're going, oh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, he says this, oh, yeah, he says that. Versus those leaders where people trust him and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, let's hear him out. So Is this it's such
2: a... Um- It's an interesting thing because there's a science behind this. I'm I'm not a scientist. I'm not any specialist. I don't have any special training in this. I think I'd rather rather intuitive about it. I'm probably pretty good. I I wouldn't say I'm the best in in America or anything. But, you know, I I just think that some people are better communicators. They understand how people learn. They understand how people, uh, you know, how to approach people. And then on the receiving side, there are some people that are just cantankerous, unfriendly, uh, you know, people that just, you know, I don't know, they're they're just bristly all the time and they're really sure. hard to get through. Uh, I would imagine those are not people that, uh, you know, people voluntarily take onto their teams. They kind of get stuck with them.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I had a client one time and there was a guy in his on his team. I will to say his name was Bob. It wasn't, but it was Bob. And Bob, you could you could bet that in a meeting, Bob would go, I don't like it. I mean, he just had that kind of. Voice that you go, you just want to smack him silly, you know. And he would go, oh, I don't. And and, and my client, we, I remember we were walking back, and he said, "God, I hate that guy." And I it. And I said, "You know, he's saying stuff that nobody else has the guts to say. He has a really obnoxious way of saying it, but he's giving you something." Well, you know, I mean,
2: I mean, the weather report was that was that a guy who backed up his statement with with logic and facts and reasons? Or did he just? Was it emotional? I mean, I mean, where was he coming from?
1: It's a it's a really good question. Uh, it's been a lot of years, but I don't remember there being a lot of data to get you to shut, nod your head and go, "Oh, that makes sense." It was more, "Oh, we shouldn't do that." I mean, the, the, kind of big global. Oh, this is a bad thing. We've never done it that way before. We're working too hard already. I mean, he just had a flurry of pseudo facts, if you will, that he just kept throwing out. In- I mean, you know,
2: listen, in, in all fairness, nobody likes uh, whining, moaning, and complaining. I right? No, nobody like I don't like it. Why? I, I don't know. I just don't I just don't like it. That that, right. that doesn't fly with adults. Maybe that works in elementary school. That does not work in a business environment. And, you know, I don't like it. And here's why uh, I was at another company. And we had this experience, uh, you know, that the, the data doesn't support it the demography doesn't support you, whatever the reason is, you know, and there could be 50 different reasons, at least give us something to think about. And if somebody can't bring an idea to the table with a little bit of backup, I I think that they have to be dismissed. Their, their ideas, you know, you have to say, well, you know, appreciate your opinion, but you know, we have to move on.
1: And I would agree with you if that person was just out there on his or her own little planet saying that stuff, but often these people as obnoxious as they might be are saying something that the person right beside them wishes they could say, Mm. like they could say, you know, this is going to result in downsizing and other people going, man, I'm not going to say that, but yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. So sometimes that person can be the canary in the coal mine. If we don't have to give in to them, but we ought to say, "Hmm, are they saying something that might have, you know, other people
2: might be thinking. So, you know, to good communicators, extract that kind of discussion or they try to tamper that kind of discussion? Oh, uh, they, they, they extract it. And
1: uh, I just heard a story yesterday. My friend Chip Bell had just written a book and he talked about this executive and she was doing kind of the annual report to the whole staff. And normally these were PowerPoint presentations one way. She didn't use any of that. She came out on the stage, sat down and said, hi, I'm Sharon, let's talk. And tell me what your questions are. And people are silent for a while. And then this incredible conversation happened. And here she is working without a script and she really wants to hear from people. And uh, Chip said, went over, I mean, really, really well. And when I see good communicators, it's not that they're the most articulate people in the world, but that the people around them know that they actually care about them. They know that they're really, their heart is in the right place, their mind is in the right place. And uh, it's and and the big it's a question I ask clients to figure out whether we're a good fit for each other. I say, how important is it going to be for you to build support for this project or this change one to five? And if you have a low score, then we're probably not a good fit. But the other question, the, 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 the I don't know, the killer question is. How willing are you to be influenced by the people you're trying to influence? And that one, the first time I ever asked it in a meeting, people started looking away and kind of coughing. (laughs) And I thought, I'm onto something. But the good communicators, it's not that they're so greatly articulate, but it's that other people know they're actually going to stop and listen. And just that, that ability to listen and take information in not, necess- not be a pushover or anything, but really they care about that other person. Just man, those people are. This is the kind of people I would want to work
2: for. So so let's stay on. Let's stay on the topic of uh, resistance. So certain people encounter less resistance because they communicate in a better way. And, and just here's what I'm kind of taking away: they're empathetic, they listen, uh, they're they're willing to uh, take into account things that they hear. So they're not just listening in one ear and out the other, but they're actually willing to. Uh, you know, consider uh, some, some alternative uh, opinions and, and back to the decision being made in advance. Maybe they're, they're involving people before a decision gets finalized so that people have a a little stake in it. So they don't feel like it's being shoved on them, right? (laughs) Shoved down their throat in some way they don't want. I I agree hundred percent.
1: And by the way, and they don't shy away from tough questions. Uh, Um, I used to do a management development program for up-and-coming managers in this very large company. And every month, it would be a new group of these very talented men and women. And the chief operating officer liked to kick off those meetings personally. Now, he could have sent an assistant. He could have done a video. But he was there. And he said, look, the reason I'm here is you're the future of our company. And I want to say thank you for being here. And, And then he would say, look, we've got an hour together. I'm excited about that. I wanna give you a choice. I've got the PowerPoint presentation that we showed to Wall Street. He said, it's very well done, shows where we are, where our competitors are. I'm happy to show that to you or we don't have to turn the projector on and I can field questions for the next hour. I was in the back of the room, maybe 15 times when that happened. I never heard the group say, oh, show us the slides ever. (laughs) And in one of those meetings, they had a big thing in that organization there was a challenge called horizontal integration, like getting this group uh, in, in Dallas to work with that group in Denver to work with that group in Boston. I mean, they're all over the place and, and they were calling it horizontal integration. So people were asking easy questions and this one guy raises his hand and the executive said, yeah, the guy points at the executive. I mean, literally points at him and goes, what are you guys doing about horizontal integration? I mean, really, man, talk about not understanding the phrase career limiting move. I mean, it just was, I mean, you know, everybody, I mean, was on the side of this executive because this guy was, you know, he's pointing at him and the executive just paused, walked over to him and said, you know, you're raising a very good question. I don't have a very good answer. And I got to tell you that we have been, working with that and talking about it in the executive team meetings a lot. And we're not coming up with good solutions. And then he stepped back and he looked at this room of like 60, 70 people. And he said, if any of you have any suggestions on ways that we can improve horizontal integration, please come to me. I really want to hear from you. That to me is a perfect example. He never read that in a textbook, I bet you but it's a one thing like he didn't, He, you know, it was just, I just love it. Well, that. you
2: know, it's, it's not, it's not the most eloquent answer, you know, but it's an honest answer that, that probably provokes, uh, you know, some real bonding between people. Do, do you know anything about the impact that had on the guy that was uh, kind of barking in the beginning and says, what are you guys doing no, about it? I,
1: I don't, I did. That, I wish I did. He was, they had two groups and I was working with the other group. Um,
2: yeah. I mean, because uh, you know, I would imagine you know, hey, listen, you know, we, we, as your leadership, uh, you know, have kind of come to a dead end and we don't know what to do. And now we need some help. I mean, yeah. I, I think in general, human beings love to be asked for help. And when you ask another person for help, uh, it is a rare person for them to turn you down and, and really be kind of a, a, a bad guy in that in that, yeah. in that time. When, when you ask somebody for help, most people, uh, are probably at their best at that time. That's probably when they're willing to help the most. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, is is there kind of a textbook way that leaders can work with people to uh, reduce resistance?
1: Yeah, it's not a it, it, it it's not a formula, but there are there, there maybe two or three things that really need to be in place. And one is they've got to know what the support and resistance is right now. Uh, and I'll give you an example of, of how this worked. Uh, one of the big consulting firms would used to bring me in to teach my stuff while they're working on a big project with a client. And the and so I'm just there teaching my stuff on resistance. And this guy raises his hand and he said, Rick, next week a bomb is gonna drop. And other people go, oh, it's going to be awful. And, and these people in the room, these are all m- members of this planning group. Going, oh, it's going to be terrible, blah. And I said, what's going on next week? And they said, we're holding a meeting. And I go, yeah. They said, so we're holding a meeting with all the key stakeholders and we're rolling out the first draft of the plan. Oh, they're going to hate us. There's going to be da-da-da. And they said, what should we do? So I didn't know what to do. I mean, there's, I don't, there's no magic answer. You know, I would love to say, well, you know, turn to page 42 in my book, but you know, that, that's really kind of silly. And so I said, this is out of desperation. I said, does everybody here know somebody coming to that meeting? And I said, yeah. And I said, okay, what's going to be on their minds? And people started, there was a flip chart there. And I mean, I had no idea where I was going with this. They just started throwing stuff at me. I mean, bam, bam, bam. And everything on the list was negative. Uh, So level one, the information was like, oh, man, blah, blah, blah. The level two stuff was bad, like, oh, there go our jobs. And three, we can't trust these people doing this. And so I said, all right, so I just talked to these levels. Let's color code that list. You know, Let's use green for level one. Which of these have to do with they don't understand? Let's use the red marker for two. Which of these are emotional reaction? And let's say the blue marker is they don't trust you. And so now the whole thing is color-coded. And this guy who had said, bomb's going to drop, he said, that's why the bomb's going to drop. And people looked at him and he said, look, we designed that entire meeting to deal with level one issues, timelines, deliverables, that kind of stuff. He said, which is really important, but they're walking in the room with a lot of level two, they're afraid, and a lot of level three, they don't trust us. Now, here's what these people did brilliantly. And- they turned to the consultant from the big firm and me and said, could we take the next hour and redesign that meeting? And of course, we said, yeah, they turned their chairs around. They didn't ask us for, gee, your consultants, I bet you've got a great model. But they, they said, OK, we've got the same people. We know we've got to cover these points. But how do we do it in a way that really can start to address their fears and do it in a way that might actually build their confidence in us? They didn't all, all they did all they had was well two things one is they had they knew what the lay of the land was with support and resistance so and so just 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 so just
2: for clarification so the level one thing was uh you know the details the the intricacies of the plan you know understanding the details the second one is how people feel about it and 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 a lot of times we do go to the minutiae we don't go to the emotion i mean i i think that's right but i i also wanted uh to clarify another thing and that is that are we talking about for leaders, uh, are these uh, like traits or are they things that are like innate in a person? Some people just are better at this than others, or are there skills that people can learn you know, to deal with this? Because my sense is just listening like those guys that uh, had all these uh, you know, negative things on a, on a whiteboard, and then they'd say, you know what, we need to have a, have a different kind of discussion. What we're doing here is not working. I, I imagine there's a lot of people who are not the kind of communicators that would notice that something is wrong and they would just continue down the path because that's what they came in there to do. Their, their agenda says this is what we're going to do and that's what we're going to do without really addressing uh, the fact that the weather in the room has changed and everything needs to be reorganized. Right. I, (laughs) I think some people are more natural than others,
1: but it's, and it can be a learned skill. And so that simple intervention of, me writing on the flip chart. They didn't need a consultant for that. And then saying, okay, which of these have to do with information? What's have to do with fear and blah, blah, blah. Based on that, then they two things could have happened. They said, could we redesign the meeting ourselves? We have the skills to do it. Or they could have said, wow, Rick and Ross was the other consultant. What should we do? Do you have any ideas? And they, at that point, could have said, you know, you guys do this stuff all the time. What's, what's what's a way that we could handle that meeting? And I could have come in and said, well, what about this? Or what about that? And so it it isn't that the leaders have necessarily have all these extra skills, but they know when to ask for help and they remain curious and open to saying, huh, maybe that meeting or that process isn't going to get us where we want to go because look at all that. These people are afraid or they don't trust us.
2: So, so who, who are most of your clients? Are they people that, that are innately pretty good at this? Or are they people that, uh, that are not innately good at it, that really need some extra help? Hmm. <laughs> the,
1: the, the clients I work best with are the ones who have some innate knowledge that this is important. I remember one of my favorite clients was a guy who was a chemical engineer, and he ran a very large chemical plant. He wasn't innately skilled in this area. He was innately skilled in the engineering kind of stuff. Of course, of course. But, but he knew, I want somebody like Rick around, uh, to, who's going to, you know, that's going to help me see things I'm not seeing because he had this desire to really see the human side of things and say, how can I do it? You know, he was a smart guy. He was a quick study. So what was innate was that curiosity.
2: So, but, and, so he was kind of aware that he wasn't good at it and he needed some help. But, you know, yeah. it's it just this is a fascinating thing because I yeah. some people are just naturally better at this than others, for sure. And they're they're more in touch with other human beings. Right. Uh, you know, and and I don't want to put engineers in a box, for example, but. You know, maybe maybe that chemical engineer just is not that sensitive to the, how people feel. I'd say accountants maybe aren't all that sensitive to how people feel. They're very more concerned with some details. You know that uh, that's part of their uh, their workflow, their day. So uh, this this is a pretty fascinating uh, you know uh, process to think about. So let's let's talk about uh, you know uh, how do people learn to be better at this? I mean, do they read a book? Do they take a course? Do they? Uh, they I mean. I mean, how, how does this process improve? Because management and employees have had uh, difficulties since the dawn of times. Uh, you know, it's kind of right. one of the big conflicts that we've always had in business.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, um, I just last month had a book published, and it's free. I mean, it's available free, but and it's exactly what a what what I cover. I call seizing moments of possibility, and what I say to clients. It's the first thing you need to do, and by the way, I say this to myself too, is you've just got to get, you got to take the advice of Yogi Berra, the great worldly philosopher who once said, you can observe a lot just by watching. (laughs) And, you know, and, and it's so often we go into meetings and we've got this, you know, we're already thinking of a million things and just that stepping back and looking at, wow, this guy's asleep. Wow, look at that. People are on their, you know, they're they're doing stuff on their phones. I mean, the first thing is we just have to be willing to to observe. And the best place to observe is not when you're in charge. The best place to learn how to observe is when somebody else is in charge and you can watch how's it going. Uh, Airports are a great place to do that. Uh, I realize people aren't flying as much now, but you just find people kind of under stress and and seeing how those exchanges go with the gate agent. And that is just, I mean, it's fascinating. So the first thing is to observe. Then the second thing is I would say, don't do anything different, but begin to tweak. Uh, For instance, let's say you have a meeting coming up tomorrow afternoon and you just think about it and you go, oh man, it's just boring. It's just this and say, is there one thing that you could do, a tiny thing that might have a huge impact? And I'll just give you an example of that. I have a client who's a scientist, and he works with a bunch of other scientists, and these are really bright people. And he knows that I don't think that PowerPoint's a good tool to try to influence people. But it's its one way, It's you get too much into that level one, giving data. And he said, but he said, I have to use PowerPoint or else it looks like I'm not prepared. And so he called me one day and said, I got it. He said, I was giving a presentation to the other scientists, something I wanted them to go along with. And I thought, normally I would use 50 slides. He said, what's the minimal amount I can use? And they'll still go, oh, he prepared. And he said it was five. So I did five? the presentation five? five slides. Okay. And he said, What happened? He said, I covered the same information, but there was so much more space, so much more breathing room that he said it turned into a conversation. And he said it was this great meeting. So it was the same players, the same bad coffee. Nothing changed, other than he made a little more space by not having so many slides.
2: That and is, that was, is a, you know, it's a very interesting observation to me because. I never really thought about the, you know, PowerPoint. That the body language of PowerPoint says silently to other people uh, that I'm prepared. I, I think being able to talk extemporaneously, you got to be super prepared. I think you got to be more prepared to speak without notes than with notes. So, well, you know, but but if the audience thinks that that makes you more prepared, that that's a fascinating revelation.
1: It is, and you know what you raised, Joel, is a really good point. Is we need to know our audience. So if yes. I'm used to going to places where they go, wow, Rick doesn't use notes. That's great. And then I walk into this other place and they go, huh? He didn't even need to take time to prepare slides for us. You know? <laughs> so.
2: Isn't isn't that funny that uh, yeah. you know? And and that goes back to you know the meeting in the boardroom where you know you have employees that like things and don't like things, and there are people like vanilla, people like chocolate. There's people that like uh, you know I don't know uh, butterscotch, and there's there's all different kind of people. And, and the best communicators kind of get a sense about uh, who those people are and what they do. Well, you know, listen, Rick, this has been a, a really fascinating discussion. This is a big business problem. And uh, and I just appreciate you sharing your insights with us. Thank you, Joel. It's, it's been a pleasure being here. I've enjoyed our conversation. Well, awesome. Well, listen, uh, thank you so much. and uh, And we'll stay in touch. Okay. You've
1: been listening to Profit from the Inside, with joel block for more insights and to learn more visit joelblock.com
2: how about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer david wolf and the team at autovita studios profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals to learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show reach out to www.audivita.com that's a-u-d-i-v-i-t-a.com
0: produced by audivita studios connect your voice to the world